On this episode of the Sales Influence Podcast, I have author, speaker, Anthony Inarino talking about his new book, Elite Sales Strategies. Now, I push him hard on, for example, what is customer-centric selling? How does the old consultative selling apply today if it does? How do you use sense-making in today's market? More importantly, he's going to share with us something called the one-up strategy. Ooh, you got to listen to this one. This is a great conversation. And before we jump into it, I want to highlight this episode is sponsored by Big Tin Can, a sales enablement platform that's really looking to focus on how to change the buying experience of the future. So their automation is all AI-driven and combines sales and marketing tools to help customer-facing sales teams be more effective when it comes to serving their customers. So with that said, let's jump into the actual podcast. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about founding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me those beautiful ears. If you're watching this on video, I appreciate your eyeballs as well. Today, I have him back, the one and only AI himself, Anthony Inarino. What's happening, Anthony? It's good to see you, my friend. I miss you. You know, I give you such a beautiful intro, and all I get is, uh, good to see you again. I miss you. You know what I mean? Where's I, the I, I said I miss you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being emotive here and telling you I have feelings for you, and I, and I miss you. That's it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Since we last talked, you have launched a new book called Elite Sales Strategies. I love the way you always do these subtitles here. Uh, a guide to being one-up, creating value, and becoming truly consultative consultative on Wiley, man. So congratulations on the book, by the way. Well, thank you. It's been uh, it's been doing pretty well so far. Yeah, I saw the reviews. A lot of great reviews on Amazon. So check out the book again. It's called Elite Sales Strategies. We're going to talk a little bit about the book. But let's begin with the uh, here with the what generated, what was the genesis, the origin story of this book? Like, why this well, book? Well, you were there when at, at Outbound in 2021. I wanted to deliver new content and I wanted to teach what I thought people needed to know, because that's generally what we do at Outbound, is we teach something that we think is powerful enough for that audience that, you know, they come and see us because they expect that they're going to get something unique and something that's going to be helpful for them. And uh, I was afraid of this content. I think I told you that. Like, I, I was worried about it because the concept of being one-up reminds people immediately of one-upmanship, which you know, is, uh, Victor, did I meet you at Columbia in, in the late eighties when I was getting my MBA? And you're like, no, that's just me trying to put Victor down. Like I didn't go to Columbia anyway, but, uh, that's just something that somebody might say to say, I'm going to make me look good at your expense, but that's not what we're talking about. When I found this concept about being one up, uh, I found it in an article by a guy named Jay Haley, but I was read out loud by a, a spiritual guy named Alan Watts, and I listened to it, and it was about the relationship between a psychoanalyst and their patient. And the psychoanalyst is in the one-up position, and the patient really wants them to be one-up because they need help from somebody who knows something that they don't know. But at some point, they generally get a little bit unhappy being one down, and they start to say something like, uh, Dr. Victor, you're a terrible doctor. I don't even know why I give you money and why I spend time here. You've never done anything to help me. And they'll just try to goad them a little bit. And, of course, having followed Freud's uh, recommendations is be behind them, never respond to anything. And the psychoanalyst would just sit patiently until the person decided to go back into one down. And that would go like this. Uh, oh, Dr. Victor, I'm so sorry. You're a great doctor. I get so much out of this. I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. And they go back into one down. And it reminded me a lot of sales conversations where the client knows some things but doesn't know other things. And we have to transmit our experience and our knowledge and all of the experiences that we've gathered helping other people get better results and transfer that to the one down client. So they're one down because they don't know what they need to know to make the best decision. And they don't know the best way to get the best results for their company. So they need a, a one-up salesperson to do that. But I want to make sure that people understand that while you are one-up, you are woefully one-down. Like you, There's so many things that you don't know. And your client happens to be one-up on a lot of those things that you need to know. 
Like, what's going on in your world? How's this showing up for you? Are you going to be able to get other people to agree to make this change with us? So there's a whole bunch of things that they know that would be very helpful for you as a salesperson if you have what we could describe as intellectual humility and recognizing that you don't know what you don't know because we're mostly ignorant about all of the knowledge in the world except for the tiny little bit that we acquire on our short time here on planet Earth. So if you can consent to being one down, then you can find your way to being one up. <laughs> okay. I, by the way, I, I like the phrase intellectual humility. I never heard it that way, but I, I think there's something to it. The So when you're seeing these sales conversations, Anthony, let's, let's give it some real-world content here. Sure. Uh, give me a scenario, for example. It could be during a discovery process. It could be during some negotiation, trying to close a deal process. Give me some context. Put me into a scenario of where these dynamics would fall in place, and then how we could use them and leverage them. Well, I will. I will be one up to your one down for this this uh, role play that we'll do. And, and Victor, <laughs> well done, I mean, well done, you can well tell done. by looking at him that he's a difficult human being for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, he's happily married. I'm not sure how that's mm. happened, but for some reason, this woman loves him. She does. But he's a difficult person. So at some point, I'm going to say, Victor, I understand that you have a certain preference. And a lot of that is based on things that you've done in the past. Would it be okay if I updated some of those assumptions for you to show you the data that exists right now and why you might want to consider something else? Okay, that was soft. That, yeah. that was that was soft. Good though, right? That was very good though, by the way. That was so very good. I I don't have to be uh, aggressive, and I don't have to get any conflict going most of the time. Sometimes you might need a little bit of conflict. I could have just said, Victor, listen, what you're doing is wrong and it's going to harm you. Now, depending on the nature of our relationship, then I might be able to do that. And, and Victor might say, what, what is it that I'm missing? But if we don't have rapport and we don't know each other, he might be like, you don't even know me. Like you're, you're making this assumption and you don't really know enough about me to do that. So you have to make these decisions about how you want to come into it. I'm so direct as a human being. That for me, I would say something like, Victor, would it be okay if I shared with you some of the experiences that people have already had and failed because of the way that you want to do this? Would it be okay if I shared this with you and then you can determine where we go from there? Mm. Now, I'm asking for permission because it makes him easier. It's, it's easier to get him into this conversation and to let me share something with him because I need to give him new information. When you give people new information, you have to do it in a way that they can accept that. So the more aggressive Correct. you are and the more that you don't give people space to explore, the harder it is. So it's not exactly easy to be one up, especially if you're a direct person. So I, I have a number of stories in the book where I'm super direct because I had to be to try to stop somebody from hurting themselves. And they ended up hurting themselves. And, uh, and I, I wasn't uh, good enough to, to stop that from happening. But I would say the most important thing is to get into the conversation in such a way that the person can accept new information. Uh, when you're smart, you know a lot of things, then you might think that you know everything that you need to know to make a good decision, while your assumptions might be 10 years old. So think about somebody who sells like a ERP or something. Somebody's going to buy that every 10 years. Hopefully they know they would prefer to buy it every 20 years or something. But the assumptions that they made 10 years ago, like the whole world has changed in that 10 years. The whole mm. world has changed in the last three years, right? So, I mean, everything is Correct. different. And you need to look at what's going on now and make decisions based on better information. And more recent information tends to be better information. What I, what I like about it, you got my brain thinking so many different directions here because, first of all, you gave three examples of very aggressive, somewhat aggressive, and very non-aggressive, mm -hmm. right, in that response. Great, great uh, uh, phraseology, by the way. I, lo I love the way you couch phrases sometimes. It's really it's really interesting how you do it. I, th I think you're one of the, the best I've heard of doing that in terms of couching phrases in such a way that it's like you're telling people, I disagree with yeah. you, but in such a nice way they go. Okay. You know, and it also requires, I mean, this is, you're getting into the, almost like the art. You're going back to the art. I mean, there's some science behind it, but you're almost going back to the art of selling because it's how you couch it and being able to read the person across the table to determine how to approach it, as you say, how to come in on that conversation. You know, how do you, 
How do you get better at that for somebody who's like struggling to maybe tell people, confront people with the truth? They don't know how to do it. Like, how do you read signals? How do you put it all together? Anthony, well, one, like one of the, the easiest sort of hacks to start this with would be to just recognize that everybody has an ego. Uh, some hmm. people have bigger egos. Some people have their ego in check. Uh, nobody on this particular podcast, but other people. Uh, are <laughs> Not us. <laughs> So, by, by your spot on, I was, I was thinking, how do you gauge ego? So I'm glad you're on the topic. Continue, yeah. please. The easiest way is just to pretend like you have to protect that person. So I'm going to say, uh, Victor, I'd love to share with you this executive briefing. Now, you're probably tracking some of the things that I'm going to show you here already. And I'd love it if you could give me your perspective on how these things are showing up in your world. Or if there's something else that we're not seeing that you're seeing, it'd be really helpful if you could share that with me. Now, I know that... So in there, I, I want to slow your roll here because it's so good what you say sometimes. You first acknowledge that the person actually knows something. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost it's almost like giving them credit, right? I, I know you know this, uh, but here's some things you may want to consider. And then you say, what I love what you just say, it's, it's brilliant. It's like, then I'd like to get your opinion on these yeah. things. I mean, there's so much in there that you do. It's just amazing. I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. I don't, I I don't want anybody's hands to go up and go like, oh, so right. we're having a contest here. No, we don't want a contest. I just want you to be open to the idea. And if I can protect your ego at the beginning, so it, it, it's not a contest of which one of us is smarter, and that's not even what you're doing in being one up anyway. I mean, people are like, oh, so you need to know more than your client. No, you need to know different things than your client. Like you're, you're only covering a certain gap that they have in their knowledge. And they have a, a whole bunch of things that they know that if you got it, they would cover some of the gaps in, in your knowledge and your experience because you haven't done what they've done. So I, I think it's important that you just recognize that the person is smart. We're only trying to transfer our experience so that they can make a better decision. We're not trying to have a contest of which one of us is smarter. That, that is not what you're trying to do by being one up. So it's important that you protect their egos so they can come into this and be engaged with you. As a, as a partner in solving a problem. So it's interesting. There's there's a part that's, uh, you know, you, you talked about intellectual humility on one side, right? And then there's the almost the sympathizing aspect of not wounding the other person when you're talking to them, finding yeah. that, that balance. And I, I before it, ahead, it turns out that if you say, hey, listen, dummy, uh, you're not going to make a good decision. <laughs> like, it just... That's not going to work. It, it, it doesn't work nearly as well as shields uh, up. Yeah, right? Shields exactly. up. Uh, it, it's how do you approach that? And I, and I think it's interesting because I was watching a. Have you seen the uh, video of Grant Cardone and Jordan yeah. Belfort having a yeah. conversation on selling? Yeah. Have you seen that? Because I think that thing's made the rounds. And you're reminding me of that conversation because it seems like. I'm not taking sides. I'm just going to observe it from both sides. Both sides wanted to be one up on the other yeah. person. You know what I mean? And there was there was a lot of ego involved yeah. in there, right? And there was a lot of one upping. What was your perspective? Now, take that conversation. By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just type in Grant Cardone, Jordan Belfort conversation. Trust me, it'll pop up on your uh, YouTube channel uh, a screen. What do you think of that in the context of your one-up, one-down philosophy? Yeah, I mean, to be one-up, so, so neither one of those guys was one-up. You want me to tell you why? Yes, I'm be because, I'm dying. I'm because they needed something. They needed something. Neither one of them were confident with the other person in the room because it made them feel something about themselves. That's what happened. So I've, I've watched it. It's really interesting to watch. The person who would be one up wouldn't have to try to be one up. You already would know in your heart that you're already one up and you wouldn't have to have any contest uh, over egos in that room. Like there, There's no reason to. The person who's one up is the one that's got the emotional uh, reserve there to be able to say, this guy's done this thing, I've done this other thing, and that's both fine. Like, it's fine. You have different experiences. But that was a contest. It would have been better in a cage, though. It would have been better in an octagon. Yeah, like, yeah. Just go, <laughs> I think mean, towards start, the end, they wanted to start get getting there. after it. Like, go ahead and see Let's, which guy wins uh, the fight. Well, it's funny because uh, the I, I watched another person on Jordan Belfort's show. I won't mention his name. Uh, but it was a salesperson. 
And immediately he starts with, I am the best closer in the world. Hmm. You know, in front of Jordan Belfort, to which Jordan kind of leaned in and go, besides me. You know, and I go, okay, here we go again. And it didn't go down that road, which I was glad. But the fact that somebody would say, I'm the best closer in the world, kind of goes back to what you're saying, that mm -hmm. in certain contexts, certain people are going to be he, better. He, in other contexts, As not. soon as go you ahead. say that, you need something. You need something. Yeah, explain that a little bit. You, yeah, I, I explain that a little bit. You said both Jordan and, and Grant needed yes. something. And this person that says, I'm the greatest closer, needed yeah. something. What is it that they need? They, they need something psychological. They, they don't believe that themselves. They have to say it out loud so you believe it. But they already know that they're missing something. They, they have to have this recognition. Like th th They have to have it. If you don't need it, like, like you don't need it. I don't need it. Like, uh, and I'm, I'm happy. I mean, I, and I'll tell the story. I was working on, I was working on that slide deck up until the minute we started the, my keynote, right? And you were there with me. And Victor stood next to me and gave me advice because he's a way better speaker than I am. And he's a great entertainer. Now, he doesn't have the dry sense of humor that I have, which would just make him even more deadly than he already is. But he's a much better speaker. And, and I'm getting advice from this person. It's not a contest between me and Victor. Victor's Victor. I can't do Victor. I wouldn't try to do Victor. Uh, and first of all, because I can't even understand like what Victor did last year. If you didn't see it, all I can say is you wish you would have seen it. Like, and the whole place is laughing the whole time. It's unbelievable. You can get a little clip of it on uh, on the outbound uh, uh, website, so you can see. By the way, thank you, thank you. Oh for no, the you're the you're right. the best. There's that. no thank question you. about it. Like, you're absolutely the best. And I'm getting advice from this. So Victor and I have a relationship. I don't need I don't need to be better than Victor. I just have to be the best me that I can be, and he helped me do that. So that that's the nature. Like he's one up. He's a better speaker than I am. He's done it longer. He's he's way more comfortable, and he's got a different personality than mine. So I'm. I love I, lo I, lo I love that what you said earlier. You said you don't have when you talked about the customer interaction. You don't have to be smarter. Right. You just have to know different things that the that's customer right. doesn't yeah, know. That's right. Right. And this is kind of what we're talking about. It's just different. That's all it is. There's no better. There's only different. Yeah, there's only different. They know things that you don't know. That doesn't make them better than you or smarter than you. Some might be, but that's not the, the contest that you're in anyway. Your contest is, can I create greater value than anybody else for this individual? That, that's what you're trying to do by being one up. Can I create value for them around the problems that they have, about the decisions that they need to make, and about the better results that they need? That's the only place where you're playing. So you create greater value than other people. Or somebody else creates greater value than you. And a lot of elite sales strategies is about the legacy approach where we come in and say, my company's really good. My CEO's a legendary, charismatic genius. Uh, we have all these logos of companies that we've done business with. We already have this solution. It's the best solution available. Uh, nobody's better than us. None of that actually helps somebody make a decision to change. No, and, and it's getting the entire conversation backwards. You're trying to give them certainty of positive outcome. But the first thing that they need is certainty of negative consequences. I mean, that's the beginning. We're trying to get people to change. So if you say everything is great and our solution is the best one, does nothing for you. You did not enable a decision and you did not help somebody with the advice and recommendations that would help them make a good decision. So that, that's the first problem that we encounter, is that people keep thinking, I'm going to say this, and, and I'm going to let you have just a second to track with me here, because it's not easy to understand what I'm about to say. Every sales organization is differentiating in the exact same way as their competitor. Mm -hmm. Everybody's doing the exact same thing. My company's better, <laughs> and my solution's better. Yeah. And I'm going to differentiate it right. by telling you these stories, just like everybody else did. <laughs> but I'm different. I'm but different. I'm different. You know what's funny? It's, I'm glad you said it that way because I've always talked about product parity or solution parity, right? 
even if you even if you created a differentiator, let's let's just that's a momentary differentiator that somebody will yeah. copy or you know or duplicate. And so I, I I love that. But before we go before we go down that road, I wanted to ask you about because what what you're presenting is very different in the sense that that's why I like talking to you because I know it's always going to be a different view on selling is that you're actually firing the ego like fire you're fired get out of here like you you know because and that the the irony if not the paradox there is that sales is about ego that's what we've been taught right got to have a big ego you got to have be sure of your confidence you. in yourself how do you reconcile that we're now saying that you're saying in your book and i i agree with you 100 percent the intellectual humility is a beautiful phrase i love it i hope you keep using that because i love that one um how do you reconcile that that we've been told hey man you know, all salespeople have an ego. That's why they're good. But now you're saying, dude, you can't have an ego if you want to be good. In in the book, I write about um, something that Nancy Duarte wrote in a book called Resonate. And it, it's really about how you design presentations. And in that book, she said, uh, you are not Luke Skywalker. You are Yoda. Like, they're the hero. You're not supposed to be the hero. You're the one that teaches the hero what the hero needs to know to be able to tackle their challenge or their problem or their situation. And when you can get your ego out of the way and say, my job here is to, to enable this person to get the very best result for their business, then you don't have to have the ego. Like you're the one that's there to teach. So you're Yoda. Um, Yoda wasn't an easy guy to get along with all the time. I mean, he was sort of demanding and, uh, his sentences were always fi figured out backwards, right? They, he set them in the wrong direction. But he was the right person to help Luke Skywalker. So if you start thinking through that lens, Yoda wasn't trying to figure out how to defeat Darth Vader. He was trying to help Luke do that. And, and that's the same thing. So there's a problem, and you've got to help somebody face it. Remember when Luke goes into the tree at some point, and he has to face the fact that there's Darth Vader and, you know, and, and that whole thing? That's what you do. You help them see that problem and you help them realize that there is a way that they can get through this. And so I think it's important that you get the ego out of the way. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't be playful because I'm I'm always playful. Like I, You can be entertaining and make it an interesting experience for people without your ego and without, without having to go through a lot of the legacy stuff that you've been taught. There's just better ways to sell now. Yeah. No, I get you. And by the way, thank you for mentioning uh, Nancy Duarte's book, Resonate. Fantastic book. Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. I wanted to uh, begin to shift over a little bit to, because I want to see how this really ties into the biggest changes that we're seeing in the market today with selling, right? And that is, we, we all know about the informed customer. Everybody's talked about ad nauseum, how far they're into the buyer journey, so forth and so on. But there is some reality that, or truth to the reality is that consumers are somewhat overwhelmed, right? And so how does, you know, how does this one-up strategy help? And then the second part of that question, which may seem disconnected is, is there ever an advantage to yeah. being one down 100%. in the conversation? Uh, so the first question was, say it again. So it's it's you oh, know yeah, with so all this information, you know, you're the one up. I, I liken it to when people go out to uh, WebMD and and they put in all their symptoms and they diagnose themselves, mm -hmm. even though they have no medical degree and they have like and, and mm -hmm. WebMD will give you like <laughs> nine different things. Dude. Uh, I always tease people that they have uh, what's called MacGyver syndrome, yeah, which is a, yeah. a fake Batman, you know, uh, mal malady that somebody, Mister Ice, or somebody has, and that's why uh, he lost his wife is because of that. <laughs> the, you're going. By the way, for by the way, for but I got I got to explain this for for the young folks out there. There was a series named MacGyver where the guy would always be in a tough situation and would create something out of nothing to get out of the situation, come up with some jerry-rigged, you know, gizmo, whatever it may be. So that's called a MacGyver. And, I guess a MacGyverism. MacGyver right. something. You, you, you have to recognize what a client can get in the way of information. So can they learn about your company? Yeah, very easy. They can go to your website, right? 
same thing you're going to recite to them when you sit down in your first discovery meeting, and you're going to recite the same thing that's already on your website. Wonderful job. Uh, telling them something that they could look at with a Google search. And then they can go out and they can look at your products and your services. They can see testimonials from your clients. They can see all of those things. So that's a certain type of information. Not a very useful type of information. It, it gives you facts, mostly about nouns. Like that's mostly it's about people, places, things. Like it's, it's mostly just nouns. It doesn't help you make a decision. So what we have that makes us one up is experience. This is better than that. Why is that? Because these factors are not present for you and they are present for them, which means they can do it this way, but you can't because these things don't work the same way for you. How do you know that? You, you know that because you sit down across from clients you have long conversations with them. You learn from them. They learn from you. You do something together. It works or it doesn't work as well as you wanted it to, and you have to make adjustments. And all those experiences are what allows you to be consultative. I know that this is going to work better for you because I've done it 175 times. You've not done it at all, and I know these things because... When you start to recognize that there's no way that there can be information parity because the other person has not had the experiences that you've had, then you start to understand what should you be talking about? What factors should you consider? How should you weigh them? Who do we need to have in the room? What kind of investment are you going to be willing to make? Are we going to be able to get the energy and, and time from your team? Like there's all these things that have to be talked about where you have experience and knowledge that's unknown to them. So it's impossible for them to have information parity unless maybe they were in the same sales role that you were and they worked in that industry for 10 years. And then you're going to have a very fast conversation because their, their experience is going to be very close to yours and you're going to get through some conversations and they're going to go like, yep, that's the right answer. And you'll get there very quickly. Most of them have no idea about the experiences. So you can go and do as much research as you want. I watched a video of doctors doing um, a, a repair on a dilated ascending aorta. So it's the big artery that comes right down through the center and brings blood to your whole body. I'm 100% certain I know how to do it. I watched them do it. It's really simple. You open the chest, Victor, and... Uh, <laughs> And then you crack the bones so you can get access to this. You put a stop there so that there's you can get the blood to stop coming through that aorta. You cut a piece of it off and you put a new piece in there and you sew it back up. It's simple. It's a very simple procedure. I've actually talked to doctors about it and they said it is one of the simplest. I wouldn't recommend that you allow me to do that if you ever have a, a problem with your aorta. Like you can't match the experience that someone has opening up a human body and doing this. Like you can't do it. Like there's no way it's the same for the client at a lesser level. Like it's not a life or death thing. Um, even though it might be a life or death thing for their business, you know, things that they don't know that if they knew them, they would be better prepared to solve their own problems. I love that. That's it. Hey, I, so, I, I, I got, I got to pause you cause this, this is just too good to let slide by. If you're listening or watching, just really rewind this thing a little bit. So notice what Anthony does, because this is why he's good at what he does. And that is that his analogy stories or metaphors are excellent. And he peppers them throughout. So, so far in the last, I'll say five to 10 minutes, he's dropped Yoda on me. Uh, on being a coach and not being the actual Jedi, right? Let them be the hero. He dropped that one on me. Then he dropped WebMD, Right. You know stuff, but you really don't know stuff. And then he goes to the aorta example. Says, yeah, you saw the video. You think you know how to do it, but you don't really have the experience, and I wouldn't trust you to do it. And what I love about that, the reason I want to kind of pause there, because I think it's brilliant. It makes me happy. It makes my, my heart fills with joy. When, when, I, when I talk to a professional that actually knows how to use storytelling and supposed analogies to really kind of highlight and give you a framework of how to think about things. And I want people to grab that from this conversation because the way you do it, it's so natural that it'll just pass by people. And that's how you do it, folks. What he's doing is how you do it. That's how you talk to customers so they get what you're saying. Because every visual you've given me so far, I go, 
immediately my brain just went to the visual. I saw Yoda, right? <laughs> His reverse language. I saw WebMD typing in my stuff. And then I also saw the aorta cracking the chest plate type of thing. <laughs> so brilliant, man. Brilliant. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to pause you on, on your roll here, man. The but second thing you asked was what? One down. One down. Yeah. Is, it always, is, it, is there a time when being in a one down position is a good thing? It's, it's always a good thing for you. Like if, if you can occupy the space of being one down, it's the fastest way to become one up. That's it. Like you have to be Wait a minute. aware. That's like, that, that that's, like, that's like the serpent eating its tail. Say that one more time. Yeah. Being in so the, the one up position is the fastest way. Being the one down position is the fastest way to get to the one up position. Don't yeah. mess with me, Anthony. Don't yeah, mess so with me. When, when, when you know that you don't know something and you go to somebody and you say, help me understand how best to think about this. And they give you their knowledge and experience, like like a, a book. Dude. A book is for you're like killing me with these phrases. You're killing me with this phrase. Wait, wait, wait. Back up. What was that line again? I don't the know line, what I said. You said if you could help me understand. God dang it! I wish I, I can't. You just said it. I was like, God, it, it was a beautiful line. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead, man. It's just a anyway, great line. When you know that you don't know something, mm -hmm. and you ask somebody who is an expert in that to give you their information, you're now no longer one down. So the reason I like books so much and I'm surrounded, I've got maybe a thousand books in this office with me and I've got a couple thousand more in the basement for $25 in six hours of your time. You can get someone's life experience and, and, and you can, you can cop everything that they have from them in a very short period of time. Uh, what what better deal is there than than getting out of that by just recognizing, I don't know enough about this. If I read a couple books and I talk to some people and I ask them some questions, I can have a competency or an understanding that was unavailable to me because I, I don't have enough information. I don't have enough experience. The best thing that you can do to get out of being one one down is to recognize that you're one down. <laughs> Just recognize, like, I don't know what I don't know. And then other people will show you what they know, and you're going to be in such a better position once you have more information. I, I love the way you said that, because I, I, I hear people saying, you know, that book costs too much. I don't want to buy a book that I'll be just wasting. I'm going, <laughs> I'm like, really? If you were to, for example, in your book, Elite Sales Strategies, how many hours do you think it took you to write that book? If you were to just kind of swag this thing. Scientific oh, so, guess. so it's 65,000 words. Uh, that, that's the amount of words that I that's have. And I write 1,000 words an hour uh, normally, right? And that, mm -hmm. So it, it's about 65 hours. Okay. But how many years did it take me Correct. to learn everything that went in that book? There you go. Uh, there 54. You go. 54 right. years when, when I wrote the book. So... It took 54 years to get that experience to be able to produce that book. So the writing part was the easy part. Mm -hmm. Learning all these things was the part that took a lot longer. And yeah, and you get that all for $25. This is what Simple. blows my mind. I mean, there's so much content out there, and I love the fact that you're reemphasizing. That's how you move out of the one-down position. I, I want to ask you a question, Anthony, that because I know I can do this to you. Just surprise or spring something on you, and I know you'll, you'll be able to answer it. You and I are a fan of Mac Hannon. Yeah, I think you actually got to meet Matt Cannon, who wrote the book Consultative Selling, which I will forever be jealous of that opportunity. But now, so we got Consultative Selling here, which I still think is like one of the quintessential books of selling. You know, it's like, like you know, kind of a North Star. And I don't think a lot has changed since that. We can make some arguments about how the consumer, the buyer has changed. But there's Consultative Selling, right? How to be a trusted advisor, get on the side of your client. And then you got what you have in your book and you covered which is sense-making, mm -hmm. right? And so what I'd like you to do is you know, give me your take on consultative selling as it was then, maybe it is today, consultative selling. And then because of the amount of information available in the market, give me, a, give me an idea of what sense-making is. Define that for me. Yeah. And then tell me how these two work together or not. It's a big question. I, yeah, let me, let me start with Mac. So I might have been the last person to speak to him. Because Dave Brock introduced me. We had a number of conversations. We were going to do something with Mac. I recorded a, a very short interview with him, <clears throat> which was brilliant. 
and uh, a, a couple, like a week later, we found out that you know he he had died and he was alone, and it, it took a year, like a few days, before somebody found him. So uh, that was disconcerting for sure, you know, because I, I had just talked to him. He was so far ahead of the market when that book came out. So to to give people a sense of this. The first edition of that book came out in 1970. That's 52 years ago. Like uh, uh, amazing. And what he figured out was that everybody was transactional. Everybody was trying to transact and purchasing had gotten so much power in big companies like Ford and and GM that what he figured out was that the best thing that you could do was a pip. So uh, not a, a, a personal improvement project, but uh, a profit improvement project. And so that's what he he taught us, is that if you can show them what they get from buying in a very, very like critical way at that particular time, uh, you can have a conversation that causes them to change because they're already going to see the ROI which I don't even think we were talking ROI in 1970. I have no evidence that we were, but he was. He was so far ahead of this with a a couple things that I'll say. Consultative does not mean that you ask good questions, even though you're going to ask good questions. Consultative doesn't mean that you're not high pressure, even though you're not using high pressure, and that's fine. What it means is I'm going to tell you how to run your business and I'm going to tell you how to get the best results because I'm one up and I have the experience that allows me to do that. And, and Hannon had that in spades. Yeah, he it's did what he was. And I, and I want to highlight the, the, you know, it's 50 plus years ago that book was written and I knew you knew who this was. That's why I was looking forward to asking you this question. And you know, the, the these pips, these, I, I it, it's, it's profit improvement proposal, right? Improvement proposal, yeah. I think. And yeah. so basically, it's it's a way of saying, hey, here's how I can help you improve your business, increase revenue, reduce costs, whatever it may be. And so that's really out-of-the-box thinking. You know, in there, there were even phrases like customer success already. You know how everybody believes yeah. customer success was just invented last year, two years ago? <laughs> it's been around for a while. And, and so I love the way you set that up, and I love the way you tied it into the one-up position. Well done. And so now take me over. And by the way, if you don't know who Mac Hannon is, again, the book is called Consultative Selling. Mac Hannon, go get it. I think I, the latest copy I have is like the eighth edition of it. Yeah. And it's it's the book that I call, it's on my golden shelf. My golden shelf of the best of the best. That's a golden shelf book. Now take me over to sense making. Let's fast forward 50 years, more or less. And let's talk about this popular trend called sense making. Tell me what you think of that. I'm not sure it's popular. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, it, okay. It, I guess maybe because I I know it. I I yeah. you're right. I shouldn't I shouldn't assume that because I've not really heard a lot of people talk about sense making. So okay, delete the word popular. Talk to me about this new approach to selling called sense making. I wrote a um, a tweet last week, and it says plagues then and now. Um, and and what I did is I went back to uh, Egypt in the Bible, and I, I wrote down all the plagues Dude, that, that the okay. Pharaoh Egypt. had to suffer through uh, when Moses was there. Okay. Uh, water turning to blood. That's mm-hmm. COVID-19. Right. Uh, frogs. That's inflation. Mm-hmm. Lice. That's supply chain issues. Mm. Uh, livestock pestilence. Food shortages. Boils. Monkeypox. <laughs> Uh, look at his face. It's so funny. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> He's making me laugh. Go ahead. Hail, uh, the post-truth world that we live in, where no, we don't have the same facts anymore. Right. Uh, locusts, Ukraine, darkness, increasing autocracies uh, around the world, and then the last one was killing of the firstborn children. And I would call that our divisive politics that we have right now. So I just gave you 10 um, of things. Like, that's the world right now. That's the world that we're looking at. It's a whole bunch of plagues, very much like Egypt, except for they're they're no longer lice, which would probably be uh, 
better than supply chain issues. I don't know. But you see this and somebody has to say, let me make sense of the world for you so that you can still take action. When you have this much uncertainty and when you have this much going on at the same time, what causes people not to be able to take action is because they're not certain that they can do it successfully and they're not sure that they're not going to make it worse by changing. The person who can come in and make sense and explain what's going on in their industry, what the choices are, how to think through these things, like all of that, that, that makes you one up because I have a different view than you do. When I just read you these 10 things, you knew all of these things were going on, but, but you didn't have a list of them all together so you could see it. So I'm going to give you the information. I'm going to tell you what it means and give you some ideas about how we can move forward. When you remove sense-making, then everything feels like chaos, even though we are not in chaos right now. It feels like chaos, but it's not. It's just complexity. Everything is interdependent now. So that's complexity. And complexity can cause people not to be able to do something. The person who can come in and explain the world to somebody and tell them how to react to it is better positioned to cause that person to change and to be the one that helps them make those changes. Dude, I love that. Uh, that phrase you said initially, let me help you make sense. Let, let me make sense of the world for you so you can take action. Because that really is, right? I always yeah. talk about certainty and anxiety. Our job yeah. is to reduce the anxiety and increase their certainty. And and so in the right order, though. So at the beginning, you want to increase their anxiety so they realize that they have to move. I point mean, taken. That's it. Point taken. Chaos point. is actually easier because chaos is the building's on fire. I don't need to tell you to run out like you're going right. to run out. Complexity, you sit and you live in anguish with that anxiety and that fear for mm -hmm. a very long time unless somebody comes along and helps nudge you in the right direction so that you can actually do something to help your business and to help the people that work for you. I, I like the phrase you used also. You said, um, this is not chaos, it's just complexity. And then you said, complexity is, there's stuff that's just interrelated. You just need to make the connections to really yeah. understand the complexity of that. And I love that in the business context, right? Because there's so many things going on within the business today that it takes somebody coming in from the outside and says, no, that's not chaos, that's just complexity with some reasons why these things are connected. And yeah. so, so that is sense-making, helping them make sense of what's going on so they can make a decision, as you pointed out. Now take those two, consultative selling, sense-making, and tell me, are there differences? Is it almost the same? You know, how would you, you know, if you had to do a mashup of those two, how would you do it? I would say that sense-making is the context. And mm -hmm. so the context of the conversation that is going to be consultative starts with sense-making so that I'm giving you the context of what we're going to be talking about and how to start interpreting these things. Consultative means I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Now, this is a real problem for people who are one down. The, the, the truth of the matter is consultative means you're a business advisor. When, when you tell somebody to buy this and to execute this, that means you're a business advisor. The worst possible thing that can happen is that salespeople don't believe that they should be studying business and capturing business acumen and listening to CNBC in the morning when they're on the treadmill or the bicycle or whatever it is that they're doing. Like you need to get an education in what's going on in the business world. And and if you like Game of Thrones, if you like that, if you thought that was interesting, that's the business environment every single day. Look at Musk and Twitter. Like there's, there's all kinds of intrigue. There's all kinds of things going on and it's, it's fascinating. And you can learn by just listening and paying attention to the stories, especially CNBC, because you're going to hear CEOs, you're going to see Munger and, and, uh, and, um, Buffett together. Like you're going to, you're going to get to see and hear how people think about their businesses. And then pretty soon, just through osmosis, you're going to start to understand how businesses work and what some of the factors are. And if you are smart enough to to take notes on what you learn and, and then figure out how to weave them into the conversations, you're going to be a much better salesperson. Oh, I agree with you. You, you can't do sense making and not know anything. 
Like you have to know things. Would you say, I'm going to throw this out there as an idea. Would you say that sense-making is more descriptive and consultative selling is more prescriptive? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I like the context first. Okay. I don't like to get to the consultation without doing the context first because right. I don't want you to wriggle out of the context. That, by the way, now, now okay, like that one. I know what you mean by that, and I know how that thing is just loaded with what that really means. I, I think that phrase is loaded. Walk us through what that means. I want to know the context so you don't escape from the context. I came out of temporary staffing, and I would have clients who insisted that uh, their, let's just call them traditional values, should dominate their decisions. When somebody's values dominate their decisions— you have to do a lot of work to keep them from wriggling out of a conversation that they need to hear. And I had to figure out how to explain to them labor is not abundant and labor is not cheap. And you treat it like it is and you're going to continue to fail until you treat it like it's not. And I would use the first time I did this a hundred slides to bludgeon people into submission that I was telling the truth uh, by showing them all the data. And sometimes I'd put the data in front of them and just let them look at it so that they would have to struggle with the cognitive dissonance. <laughs> like, like there's a lot of people available. Yeah, if you think 15,000 in a city of 1.25 million is a lot of people, then then you might be right. But when you start to see the raw numbers, it starts to cause them to start questioning themselves. So I want you deeply steeped in the context and like concrete, I want you, like your feet are in concrete. You can't get out of this conversation. Once I do the sense-making, then I can give you the advice because if you give the advice before that, then they avoid it because they don't have the context. So that's the the value of insights, information disparity, and sense-making. When you put those three things together, you've got an approach that allows you to help people change their minds about what they are using as assumptions as they make decisions. That, for me, is the most important thing, is if you can update their assumptions, explain to them why they have to do these certain things and why it's important for them, you're in a better position to help them say yes and, and to help them get better results. You know, uh, Tim Reister, I think that's how you pronounce his name, yeah. over at Corporate Visions, wrote a book about, you know, three valued conversations, something like that. Uh, and he has Expansive Sale. Great books, by the way, fantastic books. But in there, and I think it was the Expansive Sale, he, he talked about uh, destabilizing preferences. I've always loved that yeah. phrase, the way he yeah. and And tie that into what you've just said. You kind of said it indirectly, but I want you to tie those two because we, destabilizing preferences is one of my tools to get people to yeah. listen to me. We, How would we you call use it? Uh, we call it obliterating assumptions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just try to just blow them up, like get them out of right. there. So that that that's a little bit past destabilizing. Like we're actually mm -hmm. trying to obliterate them and replace them with something that's going to serve them better. Same thing. So so yeah. so just to be clear, so the audience gets it. So it's really about clients come in to a conversation, they have certain assumptions, and they feel very assured of their assumptions. They're very yeah. sure of what they know. Our job, if we we have the experience, is to come in and, as you say, obliterate those, what you call perceptions, preferences, just obliterate them. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, they're mostly outdated assumptions or misconceptions, and they don't know that they're outdated, and they don't know that it's a misconception yeah. uh, unless you teach them that. So, yeah, and, and, you have to come in and do that work at the beginning. Yeah, and I think it, it happens slowly over time that – uh, the shelf life of some of these concepts or ideas that they have in their head go out of date, but they just don't yeah. realize it. Much like a can of food, right? You just didn't realize how long you had it on the shelf, but you still want to go after it. I, 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 I don't know if you knew this about me, Anthony, but one of the things, and this is going back to your point about reading you know, and really using the material out there so you can be one up. And my personal example is that when I came, when I graduated from college, I still felt one down to everybody. I always felt like I was catching up even in college because of, you know, uh, the upbringing. Yeah. And so one, one of the things I decided early on was that I would read what everybody else was reading. So if I'd walk into my boss's office and I see a book, I remember I would go buy the book and read the book. And let's say for the first year or so, you don't really see, you, you think you're not changing. Yeah. But then over time, you're starting to have conversations with people because you've read that book or you understood the concept. 
and, and I wanted to drive that point home because I truly believe in what you're saying. And I hope people pick up the book. Tell them a little bit about the book, Anthony. Just give them a quick summary of why they should buy it. Give them your best sales pitch, where they should go, where they can find out more about you and your books. The best place to find me is thesalesblog.com or LinkedIn. Both of those work very well for uh, communicating with me. If you go to the salesblog.com, sign up for the newsletter and you'll start getting some information from me. Um, why buy the book? Um, well, if you're going to read the book, you should buy the book um, and it will help you become one up and it's tactical and practical. There's a lot of language choices in the book, Victor. So I, I tend to give people language because I want them to be able to execute it without having a, a whole lot of trouble. So you'll find that. And if you're not a reader, uh, I have a, a friend of mine who says, I'm an ear reader. And uh, he, he listens to Audible. So if you want me to read the book out loud to you, I'm happy to read the book out loud to you. I spent eight hours recording it. And if you just want to listen to it and consume it that way, you can do that as well. Uh, I'm a big audiobook guy. Now, I read hardcover books, but if I really want to learn something, I buy the hardcover, I buy the Kindle, and I buy the Audible. And the Audible is synced to your Kindle, so I can be reading on the Kindle, and then when I get in the car, I can just turn Audible on and pick up right where I left off. And it just allows me to consume more books faster. So when you're driving, you can listen to a book. Uh, my wife was nice enough to put a little uh, soap tray really high up in the shower so I can put my iPhone there and listen to audiobooks while I'm taking a shower. That's funny. Because there's nothing else to do while you're in there, right? You're just that's, that's you're love, shaving your way. head, right? And yeah, like us, yeah. And then <laughs> that's love. I'm going to tell my wife. I said, you know what? Anthony's wife loves him more. Here's why I can prove it. Uh, <laughs> by the way, that's fantastic, man. I love that. But anyway, uh, check out Anthony Norino's book. Uh, and on that note, Anthony, thank you very much. This is Victor Antonio with the Sales Influence Podcast. Always reminding you that selling ain't hard when you read Anthony's book and you know how to apply. <laughs> Take care. Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. 